Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. December the 2nd, and so it is day two of our Advent reading through the Gospel of Luke. There's still time for you to join us. Just go to MyFaithRadio.com and join in the reading of the Gospel of Luke, a chapter a day during the month of December. Well, it's really in the lead up to Christmas, and so we find ourselves in Luke chapter 2 today. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered There's a good uh, opportunity to just talk about history right there. Who was Caesar Augustus? What was the Roman Empire? What was going on in the days that uh, Jesus was born? What was the context of, um, of empire? And when it says that a decree went out that all the world should be registered, well, obviously the scope of what they understood to be all the world was limited to that which was at that time Roman, which didn't constitute all the world. Um, which is something that we recognize and acknowledge. So there you go. Opportunities to talk just in the opening verse of Luke chapter 2 um, about the reality of world and worldview. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Hmm, Syria, that's still a nation today. Maybe that would give us an opportunity to talk about what's going on um, in the world as well. All went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which was called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Well, who was David, and why is that? Why does that matter? Why is that important in the story of Jesus? To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Well, what child is this? Well, go back and read Luke chapter 1 if you want to know what child this is. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the Cataluma. It's not an inn. There's no holiday inns. That's not the way things worked in that day. Um, That would still be true in the Judean wilderness today. There are no inns. It was the upper room um, of a home. There, There was no room for them in the Cataluma, in the normal guest room. And so they stayed in the room where the animals um, were normally uh, fed and bedded down, all right, which was still actually in the Judean household. All right, I'm going to leave it right there because that only gets us through verse 7. Next, we get the shepherds and the angels. We get the presentation of the baby Jesus in the temple. It's a great chapter of Scripture. Read it today, Luke chapter 2. George Barna is waiting right now to join us. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? What a joy to have with us again today, Dr. George Barna. Um, We're going to have the next installment of our ongoing conversation uh, about the American Worldview Inventory 2020 based on 51 worldview-related questions drawn from eight categories. They're talking a lot about how we as Americans view the world. And then we're going to talk a little bit today about um, the reversal that needs to take place and how to make that happen. So George Barna, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. 
Carmen, it's always great to be with you. Let's jump into this particular portion of the conversation because we've talked in the past about, you know, worldview matters because it actually affects culture and the direction of culture. We've just come through a presidential election. And um, you predicted this. You forecast this. We have arrived at a time and a place where those of us who hold traditional Christian moral values have been clearly outvoted. Talk with us about what we're seeing. Well, I, I don't believe we've been clearly outvoted. I, that remains to be seen. I think that a lot of what's been happening, you know, I mean, if, if for instance, if you just look at my industry, you look at, at polling and what's going on during this particular presidential cycle, what's happened is we have an alternative worldview that says there are no absolute moral truths. The ends justify the means. We want our guy to win. And so we're going to do everything we can to make sure that that outcome occurs. And toward that end, rather than using polls as what they were developed, designed, and intended to be and have historically served as, which is a way of simply informing leaders and the public about what Americans believe, what they desire, what they hope to see in the future, what's happened is this time around, I would say an unscrupulous bunch of pollsters have used the polls to try to manipulate public opinion rather than measure it and reflect it and report it. They've essentially weaponized the polls. And I would say that the underlying purposes were to suppress turnout and to suppress fundraising capacity. So when you live in this kind of a culture where the worldview is, you can't tell me that what I'm doing is wrong. It feels right to me. It's very difficult to get people back on track to recognize, wait a minute, we are a nation of laws. We are ruled by those laws. If we're not ruled by those laws, what we get is anarchy, chaos, turmoil, heartache, and uh, immoral behavior. That's what we're seeing running rampant in the country. You know, to me, I'm like the guy who who's a hammer and everything looks like a nail. To me, I, I look at everything that's going on in the culture and I say, oh, it's a result of our worldview. Oh, my goodness, there's another example of how our worldview as Americans has taken us down. Oh, why did we give up on the biblical worldview? You know, because look at what we're doing now. So th that's how I see this election as well. So, you know, we, you and I could talk at length about the negative dystopian downward cycle, or we could talk about, hey, how do we put down an anchor right here? And we say, you know, no further. Let's reverse the course. Let's uh, see if we can't find a way to differently influence emerging generations and see if we can't get this thing turned around. I think that's the way to go, because otherwise we lose. Uh, we're, we weren't put here to simply accept what the world would desire. We were put here to know, love, and serve God. And part of that is to recognize the reality of the situation we're in. We're here for such a time as this, but what does that look like? And I think a starting point for us as the church, capital C, is to recognize that because all decisions emanate from a person's worldview, we're going to have to focus on worldview development in our culture. Clearly, we're making gazillions of bad decisions as a nation every single day. And so to turn that around, let's go back to the locus of those decisions, the, the worldview, and let's invest whatever resources we have in getting that right, 
so that the product, the fruit of that worldview will be something that really does reflect the principles of God, because those principles were given to us by him for our best interest, as well as a way to honor and glorify him. It's a win-win-win situation when we do that. We're not seeing it that way in America today. But yeah, we can turn this around. And so let's be intentional and strategic about it. Okay. And now if you're listening, I know that you want to know where to find that. And here's the answer to the question. Type in culturalresearchcenter.com, culturalresearchcenter.com. We are looking at restoring America by reframing its worldview. I am talking with George Barna. This is the latest in a series of conversations about the American Worldview Inventory 2020. So we've talked a little bit about, you know, the vision of um, of reversing the worldview that's uh, that's being used. Let's talk about the five most critical areas of worldview growth um, where we would need to be putting different uh, conversations out there into the world and, and really, you know, I'm tilling new soil in the culture. Yeah, in our research, we looked at, you know, a lot of different areas of worldview and we're able to categorize them into eight specific dimensions. And the one where we seem to be missing biblical truth most consistently has to do with understanding ourselves, human nature, human character. You know, what we find is that most people would say that human beings are basically good. We don't think of ourselves as sinners. We don't like to think of ourselves as needing a savior. And consequently, two out of three Americans aren't looking to Jesus to be their savior. Most of us would say, well, yeah, I was probably created by God and maybe I was created in his image, but I'm not a fallen creature. I mean, you know, I'm I'm more godlike than I am a fallen creature. And so we've got all these distorted perceptions of ourselves, and that impacts our relationships with each other, where we're saying, you know what, uh, I'm not going to respect anybody until they earn it. And what we found is that most people say, really, the only way you can consistently earn my respect is if you believe the same things I do related to religion and politics. Mm. And so... You know, Carmen, you look at all of that, and, and as you analyze it, you realize, well, until we can straighten that out, we're going to continue to be selfish and competitive and combative and insensitive and intolerant and and just not in a good place as humanity. We've got to go back to understanding who made us, why did he make us, how did he make us, what does that have to do with how we relate to each other? All right, I am talking with George Barna. Um, we are talking about this very broad um, study called the American Worldview Inventory 2020. And we are talking today really about how to reverse the trends that we're seeing there. Um, we're going to invite you to join the conversation at culturalresearchcenter.com. George and I will be right back. Continuing my conversation now with uh, Dr. George Barna. George, we're talking here, you know, at the point where we recognize there is serious division at many, many levels among the American populace. And we as Christians want to influence that conversation. We want to enter into it. We want to we want to find the way for our voice to not only be relevant, but really to change the trajectory of our culture. You're helping us understand the categories, the, you know, the big areas of influence where we need to 
where we need to find our voice. And we have talked about number one, which is human nature and character. Let's talk a little bit about the Bible, truth, and morality. Yeah, I mean, that's a second category where our standing is just as confused. I mean, what we know is that uh, large majorities of the public uh, would say that there is no such thing as absolute moral truth. They don't believe that the Bible is re a reliable or comprehensive source of truth. They don't believe that God is the basis of all truth in the first place. Uh, most Americans now believe that our moral decisions do not really affect any kind of relationship we might have with God, any kind of judgment he might have of us. Most Americans believe that what they would consider to be minor indiscretions, what the Bible would call sin, uh, is morally insignificant as long as we feel comfortable with those actions, those beliefs, those indiscretions. If we feel we can justify them, eh, it's okay. And, and most people would say that, you know, you have to have the freedom to make moral choices without being judged for those. So here we are as a nation basically believing that we are a law unto ourselves. It, it, really, we've got 330 million laws unto themselves walking around the country. And, and what you know from, from the study of history is that any society that's lacked a universal consensus about the ultimate source of morality and truth winds up in continual turmoil and chaos because we're always at odds with each other because we don't see the same way, things the same way because we don't have any basis for commonality. That's what the Bible gives us. We've got to get people back to that. The Bible, truth, and morality, I, I understand, you know, how that very clearly follows uh, on the heels of human nature and character. Number three is God, creation, and history. This seems to me like for most people who maybe have been equipped in apologetics, this is where they start. And I think one of the things you're suggesting is we have to start where the most present confusion is, which is why you start with human nature and human character. But let's talk about God, creation, and history. Yeah, I mean, even when we look there— as a church, we tend to feel pretty secure in the fact that we're able to communicate biblical truth to people in a way that they're going to find pleasing and, and attractive. The reality is that increasingly Americans don't care much about our theology. They certainly don't buy into the Bible. And so all of our God talk falls on deaf ears. We're in a place where only half of Americans have a, a biblical view about who God is. We've got the highest proportion that has ever been measured of Americans who don't believe there is any kind of a universal being or a, a God figure, if you will. We're in a place where most Americans really don't understand or accept the Trinity or the holiness of Christ or the existence and influence of the Holy Spirit. They don't really believe that while Satan exists, he influences them in negative ways because we have so much belief in ourselves, we believe that we can deflect any kind of temptation, that we're more powerful than Satan might think he is or, or might show himself to be. And then when we look at human history, we don't see it as God's story showing us the unfolding of his will and his plan and, and, and the advance of his kingdom. We see it as our story. It's all about us and our experiences and our motivations and maturation. And, you know, related to that, of course, most Americans don't really believe the creation story. They bought into the science, you know, of thinking that there was a big bang that created it all and God had nothing to do with that. And, you know, so here we are as a human race uh, portraying ourselves as very independent and self-sufficient 
rather than again understanding that the God who created all this is still involved in our lives today, wants a relationship with us, wants the best for us, wants to work with us toward that. So the last two categories here, this fourth one might actually have seemed the most obvious to listeners, and that would be you know, family and the value of life, all of the maybe obvious public moral concerns that we have, you know, where we've really seen just a destruction of anything that would be recognizable as aligned with God's design and best for us. Purpose and calling is number five on the list. George, it occurs to me that what you're describing, even when Christians are operating in the culture today, we are doing so in a way that is very disintegrated. We are not doing so from an integrated worldview, as integrated disciples. And can you talk about that a little bit? Because I think that's where the rubber meets the road for most people. Yeah. And, and in fact, Carmen, when we did the research and reported that only 6% of adults in America have a biblical worldview, we called that group integrated disciples because a worldview is about integrating appropriate beliefs with appropriate behavior. So we measure both of those in our in our surveys. But you know, if, if you're not doing it, you don't really believe it. So you've got mm-hmm. to have those two married to each other. And what we're finding, unfortunately, is that Christians go to church, they download a lot of information, and they walk out thinking, okay, I got the facts. I, I, I understand. But has it really penetrated their heart to the extent that when you look at that individual, you see those truths and principles played out in every decision in their life? What our research is showing is the answer to that is no, that is not the case. When you've only got 6% with an integrated worldview, uh, and then you've got this other 19% we're calling emergent followers, one out of five adults, who know a lot of the stuff. They kind of get it, but they haven't really owned it. And that's what we're going for here is ownership of discipleship. You know, when Jesus talked about the fact that you're supposed to consistently obey his teaching, love each other, and produce spiritual fruit. That's the mark of a disciple. He mentions that to his followers in the the Gospel of John. And that's really what we've got to get back to, is not just knowing a bunch of Bible stories and characters, but understanding the truths and principles, integrating them into your life, being held accountable for them, and experiencing the joy of the Lord through being able to live that way. So, George, you're talking about a um, massive undertaking, like, right, we have we have been now for generations undermining the very foundations that you are talking about are needing to rebuild. And we're going to need to do that um, in the midst of a culture that is going to be competing with us constantly. Um, and so I have this image of the wall builders, right, defending them themselves on one front and building on the other, which, you know, obviously is biblical. We remember this. Um, we right. have a vision of this. Um, but this is not something that is uh, that is going to be accomplished in a year. It's not like, oh, we could have a we, we can't even like have a 2020. Maybe we could have had a 2020 vision of this if we just started it in uh, the year, I don't know, 1980. But we are right. talking about something that's going to take a long time because there's going to be at least one generation and probably two generations in terms of education. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you look at how did we get here? Well, we didn't get here overnight. So we're certainly mm-hmm. not going to turn it around overnight. This is a deep problem where, frankly, our adversaries have been planning for this kind of an outcome for years and years and then patiently pursuing the, the kinds of outcomes that they're seeing today, we're seeing today. 
And so we've got to have that same kind of strategy, that same kind of intentionality and consistency and perseverance so that 30, 40, 50 years from now, our great-grandchildren will be able to look at the situation and say, wow, look at the history books. Man, what a mess they had back in 2020. Thank God that there were a bunch of them that recognized it and put things in place that turned it around. But we've got to be committed to it, which means churches and families working together very purposefully toward a specific, definable, measurable end, rather than just feeling good about the fact that we're trying to do some Christian stuff. (laughs) All right. If people want to join George Barna in this labor, um, you can do so. Culturalresearchcenter.com. You've cast the vision, you've done the research, you've laid it out there for us. Um, George, thank you not only for doing all of that, but for inviting us into the labor as well. Oh, thank you, Carmen. I appreciate it. All right. I look forward to our next conversation. One of the things we're going to recognize is that not everybody does polling the same way. Like, right, you, we are talking with you about a survey, which means you polled people to get this information. And so I'm hoping that by the next time that we talk, we will be at a different place in the political cycle and we can talk about, you know, what does it look like to lay some specific groundwork for the future? Yeah, because, I mean, really, that's where the rubber meets the road. you got to start talking about, okay, what's the first thing I have to do? What's the second thing I have to do? That's what strategy is, is laying out the plan and thinking through, if I want to get from A to Z, I don't get there just by drawing a line from A to Z. i got to go through all the other stops on that continuum. What does it mean to go through those stops? That, that, that's a critical aspect. All right. Well, that will be um, our next conversation. We'll, uh, we'll start laying bricks. How's that sound? <laughs> as long as you're not throwing them at me, I'm okay. I'm not yeah. throwing them, man. I love it. All right. Hey, we love talking with you. That's Dr. George Barna. You can find what we were talking about today at culturalresearchcenter.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Friends, uh, it is the day the Lord has made. I was reminding us yesterday uh, to ask the question, what day is it? Like, what day is it? Well, it's December the 2nd. We're working our way through the Gospel of Luke during the season of Advent. You can join us in doing that at MyFaithRadio.com. Um, today could also, though, be the day of salvation. I want you to be mindful of that today. Of all the other things that today could be, today could be the day of salvation. For you, If you are not already a person who has received the good gift of God's grace in Jesus Christ, I invite you to consider doing so today. It's a gift you get to unwrap for the rest of your life. It comes wrapped in human flesh, lying in a manger, but it also comes uh, in the person of Christ nailed to the cross. Uh, Easter is only possible because of Christmas. And Advent is the time we prepare our hearts to receive God's great and good gift. All right, next up, I've got Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. We are going to look at events around the world, and we're going to talk about how the church is bringing the love of Christ to bear in places and spaces far afield. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So there's a thing called a budget, and then out of your, um, hopefully, if you're a ministry like we are here at Faith Radio, um, people support the budget that you set out for the year. And you guys are doing that in a magnificent way. And I just wanted to say thank you. We are coming up on what we call Winter Share. It's the three days towards the end of the year. This year, it's going to be Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of next week, December 7 to 9, when we say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you to 
um, all of those of you who already financially support this ministry, because that it really is extraordinary. It's been a totally extraordinary year of abundance, and it's awesome. Um, but there's also a lot of people who have started listening to Faith Radio this year who have not yet had the opportunity to respond to an invitation to participate financially in the ministry. And so we want to um, cap off the year. There's a reason I'm calling it a cap-off event. Um, oh, there might be little hats. Okay. Um, I know, but I don't know if I'm allowed to tell you that yet. Um, but there might be little hats. There might be hats. They're not little hats. They're like hats that fit over your head. I don't know. The caps. They're, you know, stocking caps. Okay. There might be those. Um Join us for Winter Share, December 7th to 9th. It's what we're going to be doing during this programming time. Also, what we're going to be doing throughout the day on Monday and Tuesday, only half a day on Wednesday. Opportunity for us to say thank you to all of you who already financially support this ministry and to invite those of you who do not already um, support the ministry to do so. Or if you've given like a one-time gift, we're going to say, hey, would you consider becoming a monthly giver? Uh, a part of the ongoing um, support network here at Faith Radio. All right, next up, Ruth Kramer, Mission Network News. We'll be right back. Recently, while on a speaking engagement, one father asked me the question, how do I ensure that my children know that I listen to them? Good question. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. When your teenagers are talking about their concerns, stop what you're doing and listen. When you pay attention with your eyes... And make time where nothing else is happening. It shows you care about them. You were listening. I'd also suggest that moms and dads ask follow-up questions, letting your teen know that you are paying attention and you want to know more. Think about how you know someone is listening to you. Then translate that to your teen. It's one of the best ways to build your relationship. Want to hear Mark in person? For a list of upcoming events, go to ParentingTodaysTeens.org. That's ParentingTodaysTeens.org. To boldly go where no one has gone before. Well, welcome back. Joining us again today, Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find everything that we're going to talk about today and a lot of other resources at MissionNews.org. Ruth, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Let's um, let's lead off with a story out of Indonesia. And this is one that uh, folks are probably not hearing from a lot of other media outlets. What is happening that we need to be aware of? Well, this is taking place in central Sulawesi. So when you consider that Indonesia is an archipelago of islands um, and, and just the complexities that already exist there, uh, you've got some areas that are known for having insurgents, uh, insurgencies, some areas that are known for persecution. Uh, Sulawesi has those issues and even more so now where you have uh, a group of Islamist terrorists that uh, really have gotten active over the last couple of months. Um, this group is uh, known as the East Indonesia Mujahideen, or MIT, and they have really been active, uh, really stepping things up in the last couple of weeks, actually. Um, lots of situations of uh, give and take and uh, offensive, military offensives with uh, the national police and the uh, Indonesian military. Um, and this is just kind of the the setting, the backdrop of what's happened. On Friday, we got word from one of our partners, FMI, that an attack took place in central Sulawesi uh, on on churches, on a church specifically, and uh, there was uh, there was a rather brutal set of murders. 
uh, in which four Christians were killed. And uh, this this is a church that is actually connected to the Salvation Army. So um, this is something that is now kind of on higher up on our radar screens because as we have been watching other areas of Indonesia, uh, Sulawesi has kind of gone down in, in terms of the um, the specific uh, wariness that we've had for some of the other areas. Uh, and in this situation, um, bears watching because it probably won't settle down in the near future. So I want to be praying for our brothers and sisters um, in this region of the world and really, you know, people everywhere who are targeted by um, by people who have a fundamental disagreement with us in terms of what we believe about God. Uh, but this is also, it's just, it's just brutal in terms of um, the way they are going about uh, the business of, I mean, of terrorizing these people. And so let's be praying for this Salvation Army Church um, and for this Christian community in uh, in the Indonesian island of Salawasi. Pronounce it for me one more time. It's Sulawesi. Right. So this is a situation where... Um, the partners that that we have are involved with uh, church planting and pastoral leadership and things like that. So, um, in a situation where you have a non-traditional group of people meeting in a building, um, this is it, like um, international Christian concern is calling it a church, and FMI is calling it a church. The government is not calling it a church because it wasn't this the, this attack didn't occur in a building that was specifically sanctioned as a house mm-hmm. of worship. Um, so the congregation was around 100 people. Uh, you can imagine that when you have something like this with an attack, it is a very personal attack. So there are um, there are fears that are growing. There are um, definitely impacts on the emotional level. Uh, two of the leaders in Indonesia for FMI have been talking about this, and they've been uh, dealing with uh, the fallout, the emotional fallout from the network of of church leaders that they're working with, um, because it's it's un- the uncertainty makes people um, it, it it creates two two reactions. For some people, it it drives them underground. For other people, they get more bold. And FMI is just asking us to join them in praying for these church leaders as they become more bold, because that's what's happening. Um, that they are wise in in. Uh, how they do ministry, that God gives them the words to say, to speak into people's uh, hearts and lives with the hope of the gospel, that people's hearts would be ready to respond to the gospel, um, and that through all of this, through the the difficulties, the terrorism, the fear that comes with that, uh, that that Christ's name is is lifted up. Let's pivot, Ruth, to um, uh, an unfolding story out of Ethiopia. We have touched on this um, a couple of times here on the program in the last couple of weeks, but bring us an update on what is happening um, in this one particular uh, city in, in Ethiopia. Well, the Tigray issue, the Tigray issue is kind of a constitutional turf war, if you want to really just get a kind of a high view of it. Um, you have ideologies that are different. You have the conflict of two uh, cities of power that are vying for influence here. Uh, and now you have a situation where the government is saying, you know, you're you're trying to undermine everything that we want to do with the development of the country. And in so doing, we're going to do what we have to to stop you from um, the chaos that you're creating. So you have 
the military leaders of Tigray, you have the prime minister of Ethiopia, and they're just butting heads over this 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 area, um, which is, I guess, sort of an ideological um, prize. Uh, you know, the the idea of the center of power is is at heart here, um, and VOM USA is watching what is happening here because uh, of how many people it has affected, of the war crimes that are being committed uh, in in this whole process, and they're just asking us right now to be just watching and uh, praying alongside the body of Christ, because you have Christians that are fleeing from Ethiopia into Eritrea. That's not a great situation. It's sort of like jumping out of the frying pan into the fire. Uh, and then maybe some of the, the kids are, not the kids, but the, the uh, refugees are f crossing back into Ethiopia because of what they experience in Eritrea and the risks mm. they have of being arrested. And you walk into a, a war zone again. So it hmm. is, you know, being squeezed between a rock and a hard place. And BOM is just saying they're doing what they can to walk alongside the church to help support them uh, where they need support. But obviously, this whole situation is something we need to be praying. And uh, Todd Nettleton is our, our friend from BOM USA, and he's just saying, pray for the government of Ethiopia and the Tigray officials that they'll come to to some kind of peace uh, and end the bloodshed in the region. They're supposed to have, you know, signed something that that is supposed to be bringing an end to that, but nobody's really believing that's going to be a thing because at the, the, the main issues still haven't been addressed. So just be praying for wisdom for the officials uh, that are in place here. Uh, pray that civilians wouldn't be targeted because they're really the collateral damage here. Um, and in the process, you know, you had areas uh, of of this this region um, that are so high in conflict where you've had persecution in the past. Um, and sometimes in situations like this, you have persecution that takes place under cover of something else. And, and so we're praying against that as well and continue to pray and lift up the body of Christ in this region that they would remain bold in their faith, that they would not forget uh, where their hope lies. Mm -hmm. All right. I'm talking with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find the links to the stories we're discussing at missionnews.org. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, Farms International and what is happening with day laborers around the world. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation now with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find uh, the links to the stories we're discussing at missionnews.org. Um, Ruth, let's talk about Farms International, and let's talk about uh, the, the challenges that day laborers are facing around the world in the COVID-19 pandemic? Well, you know, in a lot of other countries, the lockdowns have been much more severe than they've been in the, in the United States. I mean, you cannot go out. You can't do anything. And if you do go out for any reason, you risk uh, being beaten by the police or arrested. Um, huge fines that that you really just can't pay because they're really trying to keep the they're, they're trying to restrict the movement of people. Um, obviously, when you have a situation like that, day laborers are the ones who are really going to be the most vulnerable um, because their daily bread literally is go out, work for the day, get your pay for the day, and then come back in and you can buy your food. So without having that opportunity, um, you have a, a whole group of people now that are becoming at risk. Uh, at risk of uh, food insecurity and all of the other things that come when you can't get uh, the basic things you need to survive. Farms International is a ministry 
that has looked at how to come alongside um, the the poorest of the poor among the believers. So what they do is they look at um, a church that's already established in a region, and through the church leadership recommendations, they will um, try to come alongside an entrepreneurial small business with a micro enterprise loan. So like $250 uh, in in U.S. dollars in another country is enough to buy what you need to set up a tailoring business or a bakery um, or get you the tools you need to be a carpenter. Uh, so those kinds of things allow the believer in the church to work, get paid, they start paying back their micro-enterprise loan, and from their profits, they tithe to the church. And the whole point of it is to be able to get them into a self-sustainability um, and then be able to move that loan, roll over a paid-back loan into another person uh, in the body of Christ or use that as an outreach. Um, so that's the, the model of Farms International. Now, obviously, when you're looking at a pandemic where everything is shut down for day laborers and small businesses, things are having to pivot very quickly. And that's one of the prayers, uh, prayer needs that the uh, executive director of Farms International is asking us to just pray wisdom for their team as they try to figure out how to help these entrepreneurial uh, church leaders uh, pivot because there are, we don't know what that's like. We don't know what it's like to go out and hope that you find work for the day to earn your daily bread or you don't get daily bread. Um, that's just something that we're, we're really not uh, familiar with. And so they're trying to explain that and give us some context for it so that we understand that in times like this, um, our support is even more necessary than it was before to come alongside uh, a small church in a rural area of a country where they're reaching the unreached, where we can't be, um, and then pr be praying for these small churches because uh, they're 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 working with and living amongst um, the most vulnerable people in their communities. So that's just something you know that's it's an encouragement because they've got creative ways to to kind of help. Uh, people learn how to fish. Instead of feeding them fish or giving them fish, they're helping them learn how to do it themselves. Yeah, it's really, it's really cool. Um, all right. And then one more um, conversation before we go, Ruth. Um, talk with us about this article that you have posted about social media, whether or not it's a battleground or a mission field. <laughs> you know, when, when this came across, I just kind of laughed because we're pretty much... There isn't anybody who has a social media feed on any platform who hasn't been touched by the division and the mm -hmm. anger and the contempt that we have for each other. Um, not not only amongst the body of Christ, but also amongst our community members and people we don't even know. And and Ron Hutchcraft Ministries is asking the question: Are you looking at social media? as a cultural battlefield or as a mission field. And Doug Hutchcraft is challenging us to be looking at these as these, these, these moments, as opportunities um, to be a peacemaker rather than being right. Um, they were able to kind of uh, take their, their ministry uh, to Native American young people through their On Eagle's Wings outreach and just kind of put things out there and talk about some very difficult issues and use that as a mission field. Just, you know, listen. Um, you know, we're talking social media, so it's read, uh, think before you react, and put it in a context of Scripture. Put it in the context of um, what 
does God say about these people that he loves who don't know him? Yeah, I'm going to read the three call to actions that you have posted in this article. Pray for the needs and hearts of the people you see on your social media news feed today. Ask God to give you wisdom and grace as you post, comment, and share on social media. Give your social media platforms to the Lord and ask Him to use them for His glory. I thought the testimony um, in this in this piece about what uh, the Ron Hutchcraft Ministries folks on Eagle's Wings were doing via Facebook Live and how they were using that as a platform for real conversations, um, where they spent more time listening than they did talking, I thought that was particularly informative and a great encouragement. Um, I think there are interactive platforms where it might be easier to do that um, versus platforms where you're posting something where there's not really um, a way for a person to then, you know, engage in a really dynamic way in real time. So um, wonderful consideration, important for all of us to consider. And if we would remind ourselves that we are a missionary every time we open our mouths on social media— Um, That would probably uh, help the conversation in terms of the peace that we experience and that we experience with one another, for sure. Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity to bring this up. Oh, absolutely. So that's Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find all of the articles we discussed today and a whole lot more at missionnews.org. We'll be right back. Okay, I'm going to encourage you uh, to get into the Word of God today and let the Word of God get into you. I'm going to encourage you to read the second chapter of the Gospel according to Luke. To join us in our Advent reading here uh, at Faith Radio, go to MyFaithRadio.com and join us in our Advent reading. We are reading through the Gospel of Luke. So today on December the 2nd is Luke chapter 2. Some of the characters you're going to meet in Luke chapter 2 Um, are the angel Gabriel. You're going to be reminded of Caesar Augustus and Quirinius, governor of Syria. You're going to um, be reminded of Joseph and Mary. You are going to meet angels. Uh Uh-huh, absolutely. Um, You're going to meet shepherds. You are going to meet Simeon and Anna in the temple in Jerusalem. Great um, story there that unfolds. You're going to return to Nazareth with the Holy Family as Jesus grows up. You're going to be reminded that, you know, at some level, he was just a regular kid. All right. So um, all kinds of great things in the second chapter of the Gospel according to Luke. Don't miss it as we prepare our hearts and minds to receive the good gift of God's grace in the person of Jesus Christ during this season of Advent. We've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Sean McDowell uh, is going to join me right after. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.